And so, in chapter 9, Jesus sees a blind man. And he wants he will heal. He heal. He wants to heal him because this is Jesus' compassion. His compassion is healing, helping, healing. So he does, but in doing it, he breaks three Jewish laws, and the blind man will also break a Jewish law. It's the Sabbath. Jesus bends down, and he molds some dirt, some clay. And, and that's considered work. For the Sabbath, that's considered work. You weren't even supposed to leave your house if you didn't have to. So he kneads the dirt, okay? And then he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he adds a little spittle. Now, you know, we, we, we look at that as being, oh, gee, that's gross. That's, you know, somebody spitting in my eye, you know? According to ancient history, that was very common. That was very common. That the common people felt that anybody, a distinguished person, spittle, was divine, was special. So, law number one that Jesus breaks is bending down, a form of working, picking up the dirt and the mud and kneading it. And then number two, spitting. Okay? And, of course, number three, of course, is he's doing it all on the Sabbath. Then the blind man is told to go to the Siloam Springs. Now, the Hebrew word Siloam means sent. Jesus sent him to the pool. It's a, it's, it's a running pool of, of fresh water, you know, stirring, and it's supposed to touch and bring life. And so the man, he's also breaking Sabbath law because he's walking, however he, I'm sure he was probably helped by someone, but he's, they're walking to the pool. You're not supposed to walk, I don't remember the exact distance, but I think it's 50 yards. You're not supposed to walk more than 50 yards from your home on the Sabbath. And if you do, it's another long story, but you have to tie a rope from where you are to where it is you're trying to go, like if you have to feed your horses or you have to feed the animals. You still have to do that every day, whether it's Sabbath or not. You tie a string, and you were walking along that string, and that was one of the ways <laughs> they could skirt around the Sabbath law. Anyway, silent means sense. So the man goes to the pool and washes himself. Okay, so walking, that's a sin according to the Pharisees, and then going in and washing his face is also a sin. So, this really, really gets the Pharisees. Now, that's like the, that's like the nail in the coffin. Not that there was any coffin, but they're, they're, out, they're, they're, they're going to make sure that something gets done with this Jesus who is threatening them, whether they want to admit it or not, puzzles them, makes them fearful. And so, that's the scene. Now, last week, 
when these three young people came up and shared a little bit about their missionary work, about their work. I was so excited. And you know what? I, I, at first, I didn't know if I wanted to get up here because there was such a sweet spirit here earlier. And I don't know, but I'm glad that Kathy was excited about something here because I'm excited. And my word to you is get sent. Somehow, some way, let's get out of those chairs, those pews, and let's get sent. Now, there's a number of ways to get sent, okay? You can actually physically be a part of the tour. And let me tell you something. God will give you openings. God will give you opportunities to share what you believe and what you know. So maybe God is laying it on your heart to join Lonnie and Kathy and others to go to Israel later on this year. Other ways we send things, we send, is through our tithes and our offerings. Every time we do tithes and offerings here, we're sending forth a little bit of ourselves to bless and to help the work of God. And it also goes for all the other ministries, you know, because maybe some of us help out other ministries besides just your local church. And so that, too, makes a big difference. So I'm kind of working around to how I was touched last week. And, and I really wanted these to be God's words and not mine because, and I, I told Pastor, I don't want to make it. <coughs> I've been so privileged to work for a number of different ministries and to be able to go around the world and to minister to people. And I'm going to tell you something. When you go, you bless people, but you also get even more blessed. Now, I know those three young people were very much as blessed, if not more, than the actual people who they were able to be with. That's, that's the impact that being sent. Now, my wife and I, we got saved in July of 1973. Oddly, and I think I've told bits of this before, but oddly enough, at a revival that was being held by a charismatic Lutheran and charismatic Catholic church. And it happened to be the same week in Chicago that the 700 Club with Pat Robertson came on the air. And that touched me, and I just knew that I was a, I was a vice president of a company, uh, and you know, I was, it was a good job. I was very happy, and my people were happy. But I just knew that I didn't get saved for just no reason. There was more to it. It's just not an, it's just not an immediate thing or a prolonged thing. It's a complete change. You think different. You act different. You say things differently. And so I knew that there was more to life than me marketing and advertising widgets and whatchamacallits, you know, that I was meant somehow to be a part of it. And the way the Lord just works, you know, I, I mean, one day we're watching the 700 Club, and they roll a crawl at the bottom of the screen. It says they're looking for some marketing people. And I looked at my wife and I say, you know, they don't want a schlock like me, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I'm barely three or four years in the Lord, you know, and I'm still being discipled by people. I, they don't want a schlock like me. My wife says, 
best thing that ever happened to me, my better two-thirds. She, she told me, well, go ahead, contact them. And somehow, they were, they were interested in me, and I was able to join them, and that entered me into really full-time ministry. Yes, I had a job there, but I also had some tremendous, I, I had some tremendous things that needed to be done to get the word of the Lord out. And so it was a real blessing because <laughs> uh, Pat Robertson would send, would, send, would send people after lunch to me to talk to them a little bit about how to market their ministries. And so that was being sent. I was being sent to share what little I knew about, you know, raising money and, 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 and branding, you know, you know, that term branding, you know, a ministry. And... Also, I had the opportunity to join a theatrical, a Christian theatrical group who's, who I was involved with for 25 years. And by the way, if you want to look it up, it's the man called Jesus or tmjc.net. We wanted it to be net because we were drawing people in <laughs> with our nets. So I had a chance a couple of times, besides work-related trips to Israel, I had a chance to be with this theatrical group. And 1997, we went to both Israel and to Russia. Now, Israel was, oh, I can't describe it. We, we brought the play with. Our, our uh, shtick or our scheme is that we would do the play and we would leave the makeup we would leave the costumes. It's one thing when you're a missionary, but if you can leave something tangible that they can grab onto and do behind after you leave, what a blessing. So we were going to put it on in three places. We were going to put it on in Jerusalem. We were going to put it on in Bethlehem, which at that time in 97 was about 40 or 50% Christian. They hadn't been chased out yet uh, by the Palestinians. And we were going to do it uh, in, in the Galilee at Tiberias on a little, a little pier that's out there that has seating for about 1,000 people called the Lido. Well, we were getting all set to do this, okay? And one of the ultra-conservative organizations in Israel, Lachem, I think was the name of it, meaning the hand of God. They got the police to stand outside where we were going in, to do the, where we were going to do the play, and they wouldn't let any Jewish people in. They only, would have let, they only would let Christians in or tourists. They wouldn't let any of the Israelis in. I mean, to be so fearful about something, so instead of being able to do this before a thousand people, we only had two or three people who probably were singing from the same, you know, song sheet with us, you know. But God still worked because the woman who owned a hotel and that property on the shore, I don't know if she still does, this is well, 20 years ago, she was told that she couldn't let any, any of the people in because they would take away her kosher license. 
Now, you can't have a restaurant in Israel if you don't have kashrut or the kosher license. And they wouldn't even let her see the play. She had to sit in the restaurant part with a couple of our people that were, you know, backdrop people. And she's stewing. She says, I, why are they keeping me from this? Isn't this Jesus supposed to be Jewish? Why are they keeping me this? Why is it a secret? Well, I don't know if anybody else came to the Lord, because like I said, I think we were singing to the choir, but she came to the Lord. And if it was for that one person, that one stray sheep, she came to the Lord. And it was an important thing. Of course, any any salvation is, is important, but a year later, she became the head of all the re- of the organizations, the associations of of restaurants in in the Galilee. So she became, besides a believer, a, a, a sphere of influence, a person of meaning. So that was our first thing. Jerusalem, we had some problems with, but then we went to Bethlehem to do the play, and we were going to do it at. Manger Square. And this was just early December. Okay, Manger Square. And that's an interesting place. At the time, there's this 30-foot banner of Yasser Arafat on one corner. You know, it's a square. just like a small town square. And then on another side, there's a mosque with two or three minarets. And then on the other two sides, there were the administrative and some of the other uh, offices of the Palestinian Authority. So, first of all, we couldn't have our own security. We, we always had a couple people that were, you know, we were very blessed to have some people. But the Palestinians said that our people have to be the ones who do the security for this. So anyway, we did the play. We added a few Israelis to it, and 4,000 people, 4,000 people came. I wrote an article in some newspapers about that. 4,000 people came to that meeting or that production. And because we knew that there would be some Palestinians in there who were maybe snuck in, your son-in-law would appreciate it. We even learned the depka, <laughs> the Arabic dance. We all knew the Hebrew dance, but we also learned the depka. I'll spare you. But 4,000 people. Now here again, we see the fear of some very ultra-conservative Jewish people who do not even want any of their people to hear now, you've got to remember, Jesus only spoke the truth. He didn't speak anything that was not truthful. Just the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And he maybe put his hand on a scroll in, uh, when, he was in the, when he was in his home uh, synagogue. Maybe he put his hand on the scroll, Isaiah 61. But such fear, darkness, that's not freedom. But you know what? We saw the same thing with the Palestinians. Because no sooner did we start the production, which the normal production that we would do in in, in Virginia Beach in Norfolk would run two and a half hours. We would do 18 performances over a three-week period. 
but the one that we did internationally with their words and music and so on, because you always wanted to be culturally relevant, they, the minarets started playing. Every 10 minutes, the minarets would blast Arabic music because they were trying to shut us down, shut us up. And so, but nobody left. We, we kept doing it. And we know that some people may have accepted the Lord. But I remember one particular instance. One of the Palestinian policemen, there was about a dozen of them, two dozen of them that were ringing the, the, the square, came up, to, came up to me. And he said, you know, I've never seen so many people in this place so well behaved. You know, when the, when the word of God is being given, you pay attention, you listen. You may not hear it, or you may not agree with it, but it's overpowering, and, and you, can't, you can't, you know, you just can't, you know, see no evil, hear no evil. You can't do that. And what made it significant was two weeks after we left to go to Russia, we were combining the trip, go to Russia, there were riots. There were riots at Manger Square, and they had to close the square for a week before Christmas. People couldn't get to the church there, the Church of Nativity. And so, for that moment in time, there was a blessing. And I'm just looking forward to meeting some of these folks in heaven. I'm not in a hurry to get there, mind you, but I'm, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these people because I know people were touched. And so, and there were just so many other things, but I, I don't want to keep going on and on, but we had so many opportunities uh, to witness to people, you know, and uh, we went to so many wonderful places, and I'd been there before, I'd been to Israel before, but it was work-related. I was setting up Middle East television for the CBN network, and so it was really mostly work. Although, you know, I get my two cents in, you know, my two shekels in, you know, with them, you know. But what a blessing that was. And somebody came up to somebody else. This is hearsay, I guess you'd say in a court of law, but somebody came up to somebody else and said, your message, your, what was going on here, mesmerized the audience, mesmerized the crowd. I got to imagine there aren't chairs, there aren't not chairs, you know. And one of my jobs was liaison, you know, with with the group. Besides being typecast for 25 years as a Pharisee, I was typecast. <laughs> but, but. So we had to go help and set up the chairs, and we got some help from the Palestinian security people. But it was unbelievable that two weeks later, they had to close. I, now I remember. Church on one side, Yasser Arafat's giant banner with the administrative offices. On another side, a mosque with the minarets. And then on the fourth side, there were shops. There were, there were little stores, and they had to be closed. They had to be closed all of December because of the riots that were. And I don't even know what the riots were all about. You know, maybe there was some rumor going around that uh, somebody was going to, I don't know, who knows what. There's always rumors flying around. Then we went to Russia. 
and I'd, I'd never been there before. We went to Russia and St. Petersburg. Now, this is 1997. This was built, branded, because I'm the marketing guy. The first Christmas that St. Petersburg could openly celebrate. This was the first one that they could openly celebrate. So we met with some, some of the, the church leaders. And by the way, to this day, one of the largest Messianic Jewish congregations in the world is in St. Petersburg. Two or 3,000 members. So we met with them and we, we rehearsed and practiced with them. Now, you know, the, the Russians, they were interesting. They were always looking to swap something. If they saw a, if they saw a pin on me, they said, oh, I like that pin. I like that pin, you know. And so, all right. And they'd give you something back in return, a crayon or something. I don't know, you know. But we did puppet shows for the kids. And, you know, and it was a real, real blessing. And I could just see how hungry the people were to be, many of them, reacquainted with their Christmas celebration. Because they weren't completely bereft of it. They just had been not allowed to do it openly for 30 or 40 or 50 years. So it, it was so wonderful. And <laughs> we did one for an orphanage. There were about 600 kids in this church uh, auditorium. And they asked me to be the MC. So I'm the MC, and I'm the one that's giving out the prizes. So I'm about to, to announce who the winner is, and 12 kids come running up. <laughs> 12 kids come running up, but I already have one prize. <laughs> you know, it's so cute, you know. And I said, well, wait till after the, the, the production and after the show and, and, and seek me out, and we'll find, you know, we'll find something for you. But anyway, we were looking for a Jesus play in the production. We had Miriam. We had the mother. She really could get into the part because she had a son who was in Afghanistan at the time. And so she really, especially in the dying scene of Jesus, she really, I mean, it was almost like the Pieta, the Pieta statue. I mean, she really got into it. But Jesus was a challenge because the guy that we wanted to play Jesus was bald. Bald. And so we had to try to find some wigs for him and a beard. And, you know, this is, this is Russia. Not everything is at your fingertips. This is not Walmartsky, you know, or Kmartsky. You know. <laughs> this is same, even though St. Petersburg is 3 million people, it's a city of five islands. Five islands comprised the city. And so we had to hop on the metro, whatever they called it, and we had to hit all of the different islands until we finally found a wig and a beard for this guy. But the best we could do was jet black. <laughs> a jet black beard and a jet black, uh, you know. So anyway, but he... We knew. You know, we could always tell when, when we would do the auditioning of, of the locals. And you could always tell if somebody could really do the, a part, was willing to do a part, how they related to their bodies. Dancers know that too. 
if you if you if you're kind of ashamed of your body or you sit around like you're hiding or something, you know, you know. And there was one guy that would have been perfect for Jesus, looked just like him. I wanted his autograph, but you know, he just he just sat there, slumped in his chair, and we just knew that he couldn't emanate, he couldn't emanate the glory of Jesus, you know, being in his part. So. We got this other guy, and he was very, very good. And we did four performances, one for the orphanage and three for people coming in, and we built it as our gift to St. Petersburg's first Christmas. And the Messianic, he's a, he's a minister now, but he's Messianic Jew, uh, told us that you've got to overcome a very strong spirit that's here in St. Petersburg. And we say, what was that? St. Petersburg has the spirit of the theater. Spirit of culture. They think that everything revolves around the ballet, around theater, and we've got we've to jar them out of that with the truth, the word of God. And it was just absolutely wonderful and on the final night, and this is ironic, on the final night that we were in St. Petersburg, we, went, we also went to Murmansk. I'll tell you about that in a second. But in the, on the final night, you know, they brought us, you know, roses, and, and they gave us copies of Bibles. Now, here's the ironic thing. I had done some work for the Slavic Gospel uh, Mission, which was in Wheaton, Illinois, which was sneaking Bibles, like, like Brother Andrew, but this wasn't Brother Andrew, was sneaking Bibles into Eastern Europe and Russia. So what do they give us? The same Bibles I've been trying to sneak in for years. You know, the same little green Bibles, you know, except they were in English. You know, these were the very same Bibles that we had been trying to, sm- and I mean smuggle in. I mean, we had to pray for blind eyes, you know, when we crossed the borders, you know. But, and then they said something we, which, we, which I mentioned briefly. This, is, this was exciting. We left them again with everything. They now knew how to do the production. And to this day, they do it every Easter and they do it every Christmas. They, 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 they still do the production 20 years later. Praise God. And there was one particular guy that was just sitting there. You know, I mean, you know, he looked pretty you know, like, I don't know, I'm not buying into this. He's sitting there and of course, you think, oh, he'd be a great Caiaphas. <laughs> so anyway, I wrote about him in one of the publications also that I, that I was doing some freelance work for. We made him Caiaphas. And he, and he went in and he said, I don't believe you can do this in a week. I don't believe you can train us in a week that we can do an hour and a half music uh, and, and total publication, dancing, everything. Okay. We made him Caiaphas, and he did a great job. And afterwards, he comes up to some of the people. He didn't come up to me. It wasn't me directly. He came up to some other people, and he said, You know, I used to be the head of the Russian Army Theater until, until they found out I was a believer. And then I lost it. And by the way, he traveled all the way out. He traveled 150 miles from Belarus to see what was going on here. Word had gotten out, and 
said, I didn't think you could pull it off, but I'm willing to give it a try because I'm experienced. You know, I, I can do this stuff. And then afterwards, that's what he said. He said, not only didn't I believe you could do this in one week, train these. And by the way, I was responsible for training the guys. The guys were klutzes. They were klutzes. I mean, they didn't know their left foot from their right hand. You know, so for the, one of the few times, we didn't even include them dancing, other than those of us who already knew all the dancers. Now, the women in Russia, every single one of them, I believe, took ballet. <laughs> I mean, they took like a duck to the water. I mean, every single one of them knew how to dance. But the guys, like Gumby, it was like Gumby dancing, you know. Uh, they just couldn't get it. And so finally I had to go to the uh, director and I said, look, either I'm, either I'm not falling down on this or I just don't think they can do it. I said, not to mention the fact that the theater was so cold. This is December, no heat. That they insisted on wearing their boots, <laughs> their, their togas or whatever, you know, their, their, their costumes, but boots. So we had to nix them. But then we left for Murmansk. Now, Murmansk is actually above the Arctic Circle. St. Petersburg is about 200 miles south of the Arctic Circle. But Murmansk is north of the Arctic Circle by about 100 miles, 75 miles, about a half a million people, in dark, eight months a year. And, and the other times, maybe, you know. And so I, I'm thinking, people live here. They live in this darkness. But there were some really exciting, wonderful people that wanted to also learn this production and do it. So we trained up. And there was so much security in Murmansk because it's right next door to the Soviet, well, well not anymore the Soviet, but the Russian uh, nuclear submarine fleet or the Baltic fleet. And so everywhere you went, somebody would stop you, especially if you looked like you didn't belong. You had decent clothes on or something, you know. And that was one of the things they told us every time I went to place. And this would be a good thing for you to remember. Don't wear anything that associates you with an American university. You know, don't wear an Ohio State uh, sweatshirt or an Illinois sweatshirt or a Northwestern jersey. You don't want to stand out. I know that sounds terrible, but that's just one of the precautions that our security team would tell people. Well, they learned to play, and they did it. And they, too, do the play twice a year. Up in Murmansk, uh, springtime, it's not quite fully dark. But at the time that we were up there, you couldn't see a thing. And we were, be we were getting stopped by Russian security uh, every two blocks, every three blocks. And uh, well, that's just the way it is. And of course, we weren't terribly upset by the fact that everybody walked around with automatic weapons because they knew that in Israel, too. The, uh, the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, they go home with their weapons. In, in America here, we weren't allowed to go home with our weapons when we went on leave. Or, or, but they, they go home with their weapons. They're, they're, they're fully prepared for anything in case it happens. So we left everything there. And again, they said the same thing that the folks in St. Petersburg said. We get a lot of missionaries here, they said. A lot of people who come for a week or two, they bring their materials, they bring their, you know, they bring, they bring stuff. But we're not sure what they leave behind. 
you guys have left us something that we can do and use. Spread the word of God. And that was such a blessing. Maybe we didn't see hundreds of people coming to the Lord, you know, but to hear that, to hear that little difference that we were allowed and privileged to be a part of and to know that it's still going on. One more country I'm going to talk about very quickly. How's my time? All right, Nepal. I didn't get to go to Nepal, but our group, our, uh, a few less people, but I did get involved with picking out the costume because whenever we went someplace, we were culturally relevant. We changed the music. We learned their dancing, you know, and, and we put it in their language. You know, we were just props there, you know, you know doing the dancing and doing a little mime. But, you know, it, it was really very culturally sensitive. And Nepal uh, was not a democracy. Uh, and, uh, again, it wasn't real easy to be a believer. But when, my group, when, when the group that we sent finished there, some young people came up to them, maybe about seven or eight people, university students, a couple, couple workers, and they said, you know what, we've been so touched by this that we're going to take a year off from work and a year off from school, and we're going to take it around the country. We're going to take this production, this play, and it was called The Man Called Jesus. We used to joke about it because the guy who played it in America was 40 years old, so we wanted to change it to The Man Called Jesus if he lived to be 40, but, you know. But we took it. I don't know if they're still doing it, quite frankly, but that was another tremendous blessing that they reported back to me, and because I was also on the board of directors for the organization. And what a blessing that young people were stirred like these young people last week. Stirred. So you know, Shalom. Shalom means send. Hebrew. And there's a small little town in northwest Arkansas, Shalom Springs, which has an evangelical college there, Don Brown University. They started out as an abolitionist university, but then they became very evangelical, and they're sending people forth. So whatever, we're just not meant to be secrets. We're not meant to be secrets. Not everybody can go someplace. But hey, what about your job, your work? What about the store, your neighbor? During Christmas, and this is no big deal, but I was wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. Most people responded positively. Now, I'm blessing everybody in a store. God bless you. Have a good day. You know, it just, I, I don't know about them, but it makes me feel pretty good. I mean, there's so many ways we can do something special for people or do something special to people, which is why I really believe that a, a blessing is very, very good to give and to receive. And so... I'm not even going to get into the other three ministries that I was involved with, but, uh, well, quickly, I was with an organization called Biblias para el Mundo, Bibles for the World. And our, our, our work was we got volunteers to send and pay for the postage to send Bibles, New Testaments, to all these different countries. And one of my jobs at Bibles for the World 
was to go to some of these countries and organize what had to be done. Now, one year, we were in Venezuela, and I was meeting with Venezolanos. Now, the interesting thing about Venezuela is most of the pastors, most of the believers there, were first thing they said is, oh, I went to Kansas University, or I went here, or I went there. A lot of people were educated in America. So very rarely was language a problem. But there was a very serious problem. In the city of Caracas, half the population lives in something called bloques, which is the Spanish word for blocks. 30-story buildings that never see the light of day of a post person. Everything gets put out on the bottom floor. So one of the things there, and one of the people that I was working with was a former postal worker in, in Venezuela. It was a lovely country back then. Now it's communist, and it's going to be it's going to be another problem part of the world soon. Not that I want to wish it on it, but he said you're going to have a real problem. You're going to have a real problem. You know, expecting the post office to deliver these because they're going to put maybe there's a 200 apartments in each of these bloques. They're just going to put them on the floor. Who knows who's going to get them? Who knows where they're going to go? So what we decided to do was we would drop them off at each of the... Okay, well, I'm done. Was it more than 20 minutes? He gave me 20 minutes. Anyway, bottom line, go forth. In one way or another, go forth. Get out of these chairs. Go out there. We have a neighborhood. We have a city. We have the upper valley. We have a state. We have a country that is so much in need of hearing the truth. And so, however, we feel, and believe me, over and over we see in Scripture, God will give you what to say. Don't be fearful. God will give you, even if it's just a nice word, like, hey, have a good day. Be blessed today. Even just something as simple as that. Well, thank you so much. I'm just going to close with the ironic blessing. All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen. That's in Deuteronomy. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't you love Norman? Come on, let's do it for Norman. Come on, put your hands together. Okay, now Kevin reminded me to, to have you, uh, month of April is going to turn in all of his Campbell's Soup labels. So try to get all that you have in as far as the Campbell's Soup labels. And he's going to be turning those in all at the end of the month of April. Then also I've been informed of the shack. Explain, is it 6 o'clock or 6.30? 6.30. So uh, there are a number of people who would like to go over and see it, and it's the one that's right over on Miracle Mile, correct? And Levin, the Miracle Mile. So is there any people that would like to go see that? Because we thought... Because we thought we'd go over if there's 